0: the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our series entitled The Advent. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website cbcsavannah.com. and father of our lord jesus christ we gather together this morning in a long procession of people throughout history who anxiously await the coming of our king our savior jesus christ and as we think about these things today as we look at the lives of saints in the scriptures uh, father may we be encouraged to live godly lives father to walk in obedience to your scriptures uh, to have faith in your promises and to pray uh, as we go forward. God, we thank you for our time together. Uh, bless us now. Father, I would just ask that, that the words that I speak, uh, the words that we read from your scriptures would just uh, come alive in our hearts as, as we carry on this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you can have a seat. So every family uh, enjoys stories, I, I'm assuming even having just... Set around at Thanksgiving, we, we like to tell the same stories over and over again. In our family, uh, we love adoption. Our children are adopted. And so we love to tell the stories of how they came to be with us. Uh, Ten years ago this week, as a matter of fact, uh, the Lord answered our prayer, and we went out um, to, to Pasadena, California. We were living in Chicago at the time, and uh, a little girl was born, and we were able to bring her home. From the hospital, she loves to hear all of those things, all the things about that. As a matter of fact, we brought her home from the hospital, and then we went to see The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that night, because when you adopt, that's what you do. After you, have a, you get a baby, you go to the movies that night. So uh, we went and saw The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and there's all kind of things that are fun that we like to tell her and the, the boys about that. And so families have stories, and they have stories that they tell over and over again. And so does the family of faith. And we are here today at the beginning of this Advent season and we're gonna talk about some stories over the next few weeks that are very, very familiar. They're stories you've heard over and over again, but they're really good stories. They're stories about mangers and shepherds and wise men and murderous kings There's stories about an old woman who has a baby and a very, very young girl who has a baby and an angel who makes those announcements. There's stories about events that happened that were predicted hundreds of years before that. And probably, most surprising, they are stories that occurred in ways that absolutely no one would have expected. So... We're here this morning, and and this is the the time in the Advent season uh, when the theme is kind of the theme of hope and expectation. And so we're here, and we're going to open the Advent season by looking at the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. Now, obviously we know that they are the parents of... Of John the Baptist. If you've ever heard of this story before, you know that Zacharias and Elizabeth were the parents of John the Baptist. But before we start, let me just say this. Keep in mind, when Zacharias comes into the temple that day, and that angel is standing there next to the altar of incense, this is the first time in 400 years that God has broken in to human history. Malachi the prophet had written his last words 400 years ago. So let me just put that in perfect perspective for you this morning. 400 years from today, 400 years ago today, uh, these things were going on. In 1606, which is a little more than 400 years ago, Jamestown was being established and Pocahontas was helping John Smith out with things there. In 1611, so that would be just a little bit more than 400 years ago, the King James Version of the Bible was written. In 1616, so next year, and I'm sure we'll have multiple opportunities to celebrate this on PBS, uh, Shakespeare died, William Shakespeare died 400 years ago next year. Think about this, 400 years ago, the Taj Mahal had not been built yet. Isaac Newton had done none of his experiments with gravity. And Johann Sebastian Bach had not yet written a single cantata. It's a long time. 400 years is a long time. And so you can kind of see why it's a, it's a good thing to put Zacharias and Elizabeth in this, in this theme of hope and expectation. Because a lot has changed in Israel Since Malachi. When Malachi was writing, the the kingdom of Persia ruled the world. Shortly after Malachi wrote, Alexander the Great blows through the known world at the time and takes over. He dies. The Greek empire is established. And then Rome comes on the scene. Think of it this way. Between Malachi and Zacharias, the entire Greek uh, empire runs its course so that by the time Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zacharias are living, the Romans are in control. And a lot's changed in Jerusalem as well. Jerusalem in the days of Malachi was just being rebuilt. They were rebuilding the temple and the walls after being captured by Babylon. In the days of Zacharias, Jerusalem is a thriving city again, and the temple is glorious once again, having been rebuilt even grander, by a guy by the name of King Herod. And all during this time, the faithful are waiting for Messiah to come. All right, we're gonna look at a long passage this morning in Luke chapter one. I'm gonna have some of the verses up here on the screen, but you might do well to just grab your Bible and kind of open that so that we can walk through it. And just, let's just kind of walk through the story and listen Uh, to this account that Luke provides for us. Look uh, with me at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. All right, there's some great villains. When we talk about great stories, all great stories have great villains. So like Voldemort and Darth Vader and the witch in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When we talk about the story of Jesus, very often the villain uh, or villains are these religious leaders who lived in Jerusalem at the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And the priests, and there would have been many, many of those religious leaders who were indeed morally corrupt. But what we learn from this passage is that was not entirely the case. Because living in Judea at the time was this man named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. They were both from the line of Aaron. Okay, so they were kind of a big deal in the priestly line. But they were living and loving God faithfully during that time. All right, now, here's what Luke tells us about them. He says that they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually find this language to be, like, a little bit off-putting. You know, like, what do you mean they were righteous and blameless, walking... in the commandments and requirements of the Lord. We don't speak like that today. I mean, certainly nobody would ever say that about themselves, and probably all of us in this room would be a little embarrassed if somebody said that about us, okay? But the scripture writers, they do say this sometimes. Job is said to have been a blameless man. David sometimes, I'm sure you've noticed this when you read the Psalms, sometimes David will say, you know, I am a righteous man, and the wicked are succeeding. And God, I I want you to destroy the wicked right now, okay? So obviously, the scripture writers are comfortable with this kind of language. So what does it mean, all right? Well, it doesn't mean that they kept the law perfectly, nor does it mean that they lived uh, sinful lives. Just keep this in mind when you read a passage like that about someone in the scriptures. Old Testament saints were saved in the same way that we are saved today. They were saved by faith, okay? Zacharias and Elizabeth were people who had faith in the coming of Messiah. We have faith that the Messiah has has already come and that he has died on the cross and ascended and gone back to heaven. We have that faith. Their faith was in a coming Messiah. And so, because they were people of faith, they lived righteously. They sought To obey the commandments of the Lord. All right? So, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they weren't perfect, but they were godly people, simply people, simple people, just an old couple living in Judea at the time. But notice this their life wasn't perfect. Just because they were faithful and godly didn't mean that they had a perfect life because Elizabeth was barren. They were an older couple but they had never been able to conceive and have a child. So, not only was there sadness associated with the fact that they had no children, but there would have been a social stigma attached to them also. Like, we know that they were righteous and blameless because Luke tells us that, but people around them would have thought, huh, having children is a blessing from the Lord. I wonder what Zacharias and Elizabeth have done wrong. Why why is God punishing them? by not giving them children. All right? So this is the world in which they lived. This 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 old sweet godly couple. All right, look at uh, Luke 1 chapter uh, verse 8. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before the Lord in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly service, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense, incense offering. Okay, so Zechariah, understand this. He would have lived somewhere probably in the hill country of Judea. He did not live in Jerusalem. Actually, when you talk about the, the kind of bad Pharisees and priests, they were probably the ones who lived in Jerusalem and considered themselves to be sort of the like, big city cultural elite Okay, In that day, there were so many priests that they had divided the priesthood up into 24 different groups. And so during the year, your group would come to Jerusalem twice a year to serve in the temple, to do the things that the priests did in the temple. So Zacharias and Elizabeth had come to Jerusalem to do the work that they were supposed to do. While he was there, he was chosen by Lot to do a very special thing, okay? You only got to do this one time in your life if you were a priest. Every morning at the beginning of the day, all the priests would gather together and by lot, they would choose who got to go in and offer incense. And once you had done it, you could never do it again, okay? So this was Zacharias' day. He would have been thrilled. He would have been joyful. He probably was a little bit fearful, okay? Now let let me picture the temple for you. For just a minute. The temple, you may have seen pictures. Actually, if you've ever driven to Orlando, uh, you may have noticed that you're riding along and there's like malls and Harry Potter and then there's like a temple off to the side and it's the Holy Land experience and it's kind of like just out of the blue. It's kind of weird there. It's actually, if you've ever seen that thing there, it's a pretty good representation of what the temple is looked like, okay, in spite of whatever else might be going on there. But so, so kind of picture that in your mind. There would have been a, a, a court of the Gentiles that was uh, the outer part of the temple. And then there was a court of the women. And then there was the court of Israel that was sort of the innermost court. And the only people who went in there were male Israelites, and that was a very big deal. In the court of Israel, there were only two items, There was an altar, and there was a laver, or a basin, okay? When you think of the work that the priests did in Jerusalem, think of them almost like butchers. That's really what they were, because people were bringing these sacrifices to them, and they were carving up the meat, and the, the meat would be used for various different things. Some of it would be put on the altar. Once the meat was on the altar, they would go, and they would wash their hands in the basin to wash the blood off of their hands, okay? Now... Once you got into the actual temple building, that like rectangle thing that you may have seen in pictures, there were two rooms in there, the holy place and the holy of holies. And it was separated by a veil. That's the same veil that was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. Inside of the holy holy place, there were three items of furniture, okay? There was a table of showbread, or the bread of the presence, and it was a table with 12 loaves of bread that would be changed out periodically throughout the day, and then there was a lampstand. Those were to symbolize God's presence with his people, that he was sustaining, he is bread, and that he was light. But then right in the middle, right up against that veil, uh, there was a altar of incense, okay? Now understand, this is Herod's temple. This is what we call the second temple. There was no Ark of the Covenant in that temple, okay? The Ark of the Covenant sort of goes away after Babylon attacks and destroys Jerusalem. We don't know what happened to it, okay? <laughs> I've got to say this. So after the service last time, I, I, just, I think you'll appreciate this. This is, it, it, it's good. Uh, I, I go up to Fowler and I say, Um, All right, so, you know, what'd you think? You got any any notes for me? And he says, well, I'll tell you what, that's a total B sermon, because you totally left Indiana Jones out of that Ark of the Covenant part. You totally had that set up. I don't know how you didn't do that. He was really animated. So, I guess he would say, until Indiana Jones found the Ark of the Covenant, and now it's in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. All right, so there. Um, Okay, so there's no Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. But God accepted the worship of Israel. We know that, okay? Somehow the worship of Israel was acceptable during that time, and nobody went in there, okay? Except for the high priest once a year. Okay, so Zacharias' job that day was to take coals from the altar and to bring them in and to put them on that altar of incense. So those coals from outside where the sacrifice had been made. And then he would take incense and he would pour the incense over those coals. And as that smoke of that, of that incense drifted up to heaven, that symbolized the prayers of the people that were going up to God, okay? Very special. Ordinarily, he would have sort of reverently backed out of the holy place, and he would have gone out there and he would have offered a blessing to all the people who were waiting for him to come out of the holy place. But something very unique happens. Old Zacharias goes in there that day, but this is what happens. Look at uh, Luke chapter one, verses 12 through 13. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, "'Do not be afraid, Zacharias,' For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. I think that sometimes when we think of Bible times, we think that like angels were just appearing all over the place, and people were being raised from the dead, and there were just miracles going on all the time, and that wasn't the case. Zacharias was as surprised by Gabriel that day as you and I would be if he suddenly appeared up here on this stage, okay? He was responding in fear and surprise. After 400 years, God is speaking. And notice what the angel says. He says, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Your prayer for a child. The prayer for a child that they prayed decades before is being answered. We're gonna come back to this in just a moment, but get this, the angel is saying, Zacharias, that prayer you prayed decades ago, God is gonna answer that prayer and give you a child, and in the process, that child is gonna be the forerunner of Messiah. It's it's, it's a glorious thing in this passage, but we'll come back to it. Uh, Continue reading down, verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel's words to Zacharias would have immediately signaled to him the last words that Malachi wrote down 400 years ago. 400 years before, Malachi wrote these words. I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So basically, the prophecy says this. The next voice you hear will be that of Elijah. And the angel appears to, to Zacharias that day and says, "You, the child that you bear is going to be that person. All right, look at verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Here's a huge takeaway from this passage, all right? If an angel ever appears to you and gives you a great piece of news, don't say, are you serious? Is that really going to happen? All right, so Zacharias, and you've got you to kind of put yourself in Zach's shoes here for a, a second. I, this is a very old man. He's probably like 60 years old. And, and they've, quit, they've quit praying for a child long ago. And Zacharias, he's really saying here, you don't understand, Gabe, that can't happen. I'm an old man. How, how can that possibly happen? And what Zacharias does here, and, and remember, he's a godly man. He's a man who is blameless in the sight of the Lord. What he's doing here is the sin of unbelief. And, and God takes it very seriously. And Gabriel takes it very seriously seriously. Um, you know, when you sit down tonight, when you lay down tonight, if you, if you spend some time in confession or in the morning, and as you think of the various sins that you commit during the day, in lust, and greed, and pride, and, and whatever, you know, unbelief is right up there with all of those sins in God's eyes. In fact, for us to fail to trust in the promises of God, for us to fail to trust in, in, in the things that God has said may be the root of the rest of our sins. And so Gabriel takes it very seriously. The angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So because Zacharias, in his unbelief, asks for a sign, the angel says, fine, I'll give you a sign. Here's your sign. You will not be able to speak until that baby is born. And later on in the passage, it says that they had to make um, hand motions or signs to communicate with him. So it seems like that perhaps he was also deaf during that time as well. Now, during this time, all the people are waiting for Zacharias to come back out of the temple. Because this is taking longer than usual. Look at verses 21 through 23. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had had a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. Remember, his final job would have been to pronounce a blessing on them after having come out and doing his job. But he comes out and he's deaf and mute and he can't speak. I totally just thought of this. But I even wonder, you know, here's an old man who has waited his entire life to get to do this cherished task and the final part of that task would have been to come out and pronounce this blessing. But because of his unbelief, he comes out and he can't speak, he can't finish the work that he was given to do. So he would have finished his time then of priestly service in Jerusalem, and then he would have gone back home to wherever he lived in Judea, all right? And so he communicates to Elizabeth somehow that they're going to have a child. Uh, Early in the passage, um, Elizabeth keeps the, the pregnancy quiet. And I wonder if that's not because, you know, she's not showing yet, and who's really going to believe that a woman of her age is with child, okay? So she keeps it quiet. One of her relatives comes to visit. Uh, That'll be a story for next week, but that's a good story too. Uh, While while she's there, the baby jumps in the womb. Uh, Lots of stuff going on there. Uh, And so then, after nine months, she gives birth. Look at verse uh, 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. I would bet you that Zacharias and Elizabeth were a dear old couple in that community. As a matter of fact, I, I wonder if since Zechariah was a godly man who was a priest, and, and most of the time when he lived in his village, his role was just kind of to be a pastor, People would have come to him with spiritual problems and questions from the scripture. And so I wonder if that village wasn't just thrilled that the sweet, godly, old couple had finally had a child after all these years. And so everyone had known her heartache, everyone had known how Elizabeth had endured all those years of childlessness, and so they come and they celebrate that God has brought her safely through her pregnancy and all the way into giving birth to this child. Look at verse 59. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were gonna call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, no indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted to call him. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all established. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. All right, so they all gathered together on the eighth day to circumcise the child. All right, that was mandated by the law. But it was not mandated that they have to name the child on that day. They did that because Abram's name was changed to Abraham on the day that he was circumcised. So it became the tradition to name the boy on the day of the circumcision. So on the day of the circumcision, they all come to Elizabeth and they say, What are we going to name the child? Certainly it's going to be Zacharias. And she says, No, it's going to be John. And they say, Okay. And they go over to Zacharias because that doesn't make any sense to them. And they say, Zacharias, what are you going to name the child? And he gets a tablet. When I was a little kid, I used to always hear this story. I don't know why, I used to always picture like a yellow legal pad and a pen. You know, something that they like, I don't know, I don't know what they gave him. You know, maybe they gave him like a, a stone and a chisel. But somehow they, they give him something and he writes the name John. And immediately his, his tongue is loosened and he can speak. This is clearly, by the way, a miracle. Everybody around there would have known that God was up to something. An old man and woman having a baby. An old man who could speak going into a temple. He can't speak, and now once he writes the name John down, he can speak again. By the way, this will be, you know, fill in the dots later. You could preach the gospel just from the names that are listed in this passage. So Zacharias's name is the Lord has remembered. That's what that means. Elizabeth means. Devoted to God. John means the grace of God. And then, of course, Jesus means Yahweh or God saves. So, after 400 years, God is at work. People are noticing that miraculous things are taking place. Just look at the last two verses in the passage there, verses 65 and 66. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. All right, I just want to make three simple points from this great story this morning. And keep in mind, we're here to start Advent and we're here talking about the theme of hope or expectation as we, t- as we start this season of Advent. Zacharias and Elizabeth were Old Testament saints who were act- anxiously living in hope of the coming Messiah. Ethan mentioned this earlier, but think about it this way. When the scripture writers speak of hope, they don't use that word like we use that word. I, I you know, a child might hope that he's going to, to get a bicycle for Christmas, or I might hope that it's not going to rain tomorrow. But when we use that word, there's an element of uncertainty about it. It might happen, it might not. We hope it doesn't. When the scripture writers use the word hope, it is a certainty. Hebrews 11:1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right, I've made a big deal about the fact that it had been 400 years between Malachi and Zacharias. But here's the thing, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives and went back to heaven. Zechariah 14.4 tells us that when he returns, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives once again. Jesus is going to return and he is going to take his place as King on the throne of David. We don't hope that this will happen in the same way that I hope the line will be short when I get to Chipotle this afternoon. We know that this is gonna happen. Jesus is going to return, just as he said. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It seems like it's been a long time. Many around us may be saying, where is the promise of his coming? To which Peter responds, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Jesus says to his disciples on that last night together, he says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I'm done, I'm going to come back and get you, so that you may be where I am." Brothers and sisters, I am more sure that Jesus is going to return than I am that I'm going to eat lunch in a few minutes. God has not promised me lunch. A myriad of things may happen before I get to lunch. I may drop dead before I eat lunch, but I know this, Jesus is going to return. I'm certain that he's coming back. Secondly, not only should we live with hope, but we wait in obedience and prayer. How do we live in the meantime? There's a great book title. <laughs> I haven't read the book, but I love the title. It is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think that that's the type of life that Zacharias and Elizabeth lived, and I think that that is the type of life that we believers should live as we await Christ's coming. We are waiting for God to make good on his promises, and while we do, we live in obedience. Listen, obedience gets a bad rap. You know, people, people talk about obedience, and they, they want to say, well, well, you know, if you're concerned about obedience, you're just being legalistic. No, we don't obey so that we can be saved. We obey because we are saved, and we want to honor the one who died for us. We are obedient to Christ's commands. And I'll tell you this, If you have faith, one of the evidences of that faith is that you live in obedience to what Christ told us to do. Most everybody else in the world lives according to what they want to do. Christians are the ones who have a different king and who say, we believe and we're going to live as he told us to live. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Zacharias is not perfect. He sinned in the middle of the passage. But he walked blamelessly and he sought to live righteously and obey the commands of God. But secondly, I want you to notice their prayer. Not just their obedience, but their prayer. Zacharias and Elizabeth's faithfulness, Elizabeth's faithfulness, did not result in a charmed life. They endured real heartache. Elizabeth's childlessness would have made her Something to be looked down upon in her community. People would have whispered, what's, what's wrong with them? What situation has caused them to experience this suffering from God? Maybe, maybe God is, is punishing them for some secret sin. And you can bet that as Elizabeth lived there in that village, there would have been women on both sides of her who just, it seemed like, couldn't stop bearing children. And every time you hear about another baby that's being born. There's a mix of joy and sadness because God hasn't answered that prayer. And perhaps some of you have prayed prayers like Zacharias and Elizabeth prayed. I personally know, I know what it's like to pray for a child and feel like the heavens are silent. I know what it's like to actually live and to have like your sisters and and your friends getting pregnant and you wanna be joyful, but at the same time you have this sense of like, God, why not me? Why not me? My wife and I, we love the Lord. We want more than anything to be able to to raise a child in the nurture and the admonition in the world, and the Lord. All over the world, children are being born in horrible situations. Why won't you let a child be born into this situation? Maybe you've prayed and prayed for God to change something in your life. Maybe you've prayed for a child. Maybe you've prayed for a spouse. Maybe you've spent years praying for deliverance from sickness or from some besetting sin that you're like, I have been a Christian for decades. Why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still doing this? Maybe you've prayed for a friend or a loved one who just will not trust in Jesus Christ. And until now, the heavens have been silent. And I'm not here this morning to make any kind of promises that God is gonna give you what you ask for. But I think there's something we can learn from this passage that I hope will comfort you and encourage you to not grow weary in prayer in the meantime. Years before, perhaps decades before, Zacharias and Elizabeth had prayed that God would give them a child. This was probably a constant topic of prayer in their marriage. And you can even imagine that as they got older and as they sensed that their time was running out, maybe they got more and more fervent in prayer. Please, God, please, please answer this prayer. And eventually, I bet that prayer just died off. And I bet they just began to assume we're too old. God chose not to answer. And then an angel appears and says, Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. Wait, what prayers? What prayers? He, he probably had to stop and, and rack his brain for a minute. What prayer are you answering? I'm answering that prayer that you prayed decades ago for a child. And get this, I'm not only answering your prayer for a child, but I'm beginning the process of answering your prayer for the coming of Messiah. Your prayer for a child is being used by God to bring about the salvation of the world from sin. I don't make any attempt to say that I know why God isn't answering your prayer. And most of us, probably all of us, won't have the blessing of an angel appearing and explaining things like Zacharias did. But know this, your father in heaven knows, and he cares, and we need to learn to trust him that there could be something far more glorious going on as he seeks to respond to what you've asked for. That was my experience, and I'll tell you this, God answered my prayer in four ways that I would have never imagined. So take hope, live in obedience, and live in prayer. Finally, prepare your heart for the return of the king. This baby will grow up to be John the Baptist. There's a prophecy from Isaiah that you've probably heard that we hear a lot about related to the work of John the Baptist. It goes like this. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and let the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's a very specific picture that Isaiah is referencing here, and it is this, that in that day when a king was coming to your small town or your village, he would send out a herald ahead of him, and the herald would go out and say, the king is coming, make his path straight. Basically, he's saying, the king is coming, fix the roads. Make it so that as he comes, he can come easily into your town. Receive him, make it easy for him to get there. And that's the message of John the Baptist. And that's our message today. We are here to celebrate the Advent season, which is a wonderful celebration of Jesus' birth, but the coming of Christ and his glorious return, again, is just as certain. And so I would give a final exhortation to you this morning. Make your heart ready for his return. Make his path straight. Prepare for the return of the king. Confess sin. Confess any sin that's hindering your your relationship with him. Obey God. Love your neighbor. And live in the joyful hope that he is coming. Y'all, this could be the hour. Zacharias goes into the temple that day. He's not expecting an angel. He's not expecting God to begin the work of saving the world. This could be the hour right now that Jesus is going to return and he's going to establish his glorious kingdom. Let's let that be the, 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 the joy of our hearts as we go from here today. Let's pray. Great God, would you stir our hearts to these things, Father? Would you help us to live truly in faith? God, to believe these things, to trust in your promises. May our hearts be sustained by the understanding that you do the things that you have promised to do. Father, thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you that you are light. Thank you that you are bread. Would you be our sustenance as we go out from here? May we we think about the humility of Christ's first coming over the next few days. May we follow his example, but may we set our hearts on all the glory that is to be found in him when he returns. We pray in his name, amen.